the beauty of enthusiasm, and I understand why they say where that root is filled with the filled with the spirit or filled with the divine, because that's what carries you. It can be something difficult, and you don't care. It's just because you're just having fun. The the whole thing is what in this life, like no matter what you're doing, even if it's a serious thing, do it with a playful spirit. And then you're in the the spirit of the divine. Then you have enthusiasm automatically. Welcome to A Way of Thinking. I'm your host, Jessica Wong. This podcast is dedicated to lighting the way towards greater inner peace and purpose. My own journey has taken me from a decade-long corporate finance career to following my own path as a purpose coach. I help people move from an unfulfilling career to a meaningful and purpose-driven career in life. Now let's dive into today's show. Hello and welcome to this episode of A Way of Thinking. I'm your host, Jessica Huang. And in this episode, my guest is Jerome Birdie. And Jerome and I discuss the path of his dharma, which took him from his first love of writing to a career in crime journalism. And from there, an ayahuasca ceremony led him to yoga and vipassana meditation. We talk all about the importance of enthusiasm and self-practice. And Jerome shares how following his bliss led him from New York City to Milan to Barcelona, Spain. And so tune in and keep listening if you want to hear more about Jerome Birdie. And before we get started, I want to share a few announcements. If you are enjoying these episodes, I invite you to uh, donate to the podcast. You can do so at my website, jessicahuangcoaching.com slash donate. And also, I am starting up a few more classes. So if you're interested on Sunday mornings, I will be doing holding psychic development, yoga nidra, and charging practice classes And so if you are interested, you can reach out to me either on Instagram or also on my website. And if you are someone that is looking to be able to follow more of your purpose or your dharma and are trying to figure out where to begin or how to figure all this out and how to move forward in your path, please feel free to schedule a free dream job discovery session with me on my website at jessicahuangcoaching.com. That's all the uh, announcements for today. And so now let's dive into today's episode with Jerome Birdie. Welcome to the show, Jerome. So Jerome, it's it's a pleasure to get to sit down with you. Um, you know, I we're both part of the same Dharma Yoga community. And so I kind of got the intro and was super excited to have you on the show. So thank you so much for taking the time to come on my podcast. And so I would love to get started a little bit with starting off with what purpose really means to you. Well, what purpose means, I I would refer to what Dharma means, the same thing as as the Buddha would say. So I think purpose in in individual life and, and life in general, is just to find what your heart wants you to do. Like a lot of people just will follow the parents or their peers, and deep down inside, something is nagging with them saying, this isn't really what I want to do, but I don't know what else to do. So I think purpose comes from 
finding something that will give you purpose of finding a practice or something that uh that responds to you on a deeper nature like on a spiritual nature and for me it was it was yoga but it can be it can be dance it can be martial arts it can be anything it can be writing you know it could be anything that puts you in that space beyond time and space mm -hmm. and then you can really find out a little bit more about yourself and whatever that is whatever that thing is follow that like one of my favorite um writers joseph campbell he would, his tagline was follow your bliss and if you and when you do that because a lot of people don't do that because they're afraid so for me the, the thank god like i didn't feel the fear i just it was this and i just had to go like i got introduced to the yoga but it was there it was always there in my background like the my dharma was always there calling me but i didn't have anyone to put water on the seed until until i started to, to, to discover it and practice it like i was always looking but i didn't have the teacher maybe i wasn't ready because also from the buddha when the students ready the teacher appears so maybe i just wasn't ready but when i when that seed started to open in yoga it just like went full force and i just kept going 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 now i'm doing podcasts <laughs> i love that i love what you said there about this idea that like we often just kind of follow the people that we're around or um just what's in our environment so what did that kind of look like for you i mean so i grew up in in brooklyn new york bay ridge and I don't know, there was a lot of kind of deadbeats around or whatever, or some people started to just get nine to five jobs, things like that, or, or whatever kind of job, supermarket, I don't know, whatever they would do. But also on this path, like you start to lose some of those people as contacts or as, as friends, because you same attract same. So as I started to leave that vibration, um, it's things started to change and I started to, to look for other things. Of course, I did those too. I had many different jobs, restaurants, bars, all of these things, but it was always just kind of a means to uh, make some money or, or live life, you know, pay the rent, whatever I had to do, but it was never really, maybe had a little touch of something I liked, like I used to care for plants and I was like, oh, this is nice caring for plants, but it wasn't like my purpose in life. But when I finally clicked onto that, when I finally like, practice started practicing yoga it was very clear so i just stayed with that but even journalism like so my first you mentioned i was a journalist so my first mm -hmm. love was was writing poetry and things like that more creative writing and i tried to go that route with the creative writing i even dropped out of school and tried to like become a creative writer mm -hmm. and uh and it just didn't work out so i ended up that's another whole story but we can get into that if you want but i, I just ended up uh going back to college because i dropped out a couple of years traveling the country trying to be like a hero at the time which jeff kerouac and like the beatniks but my, the thing that i liked most about them was that they were into eastern philosophy mm. and that was probably even more than the writing what would i loved i mean i love writing as well even like the buddhist writings and things like that these things that are clear and beautiful and, and make you enter many different dimensions just from a couple of lines so uh that was always there and then and I finally ended up back in New York, kind of working in nightclubs, doing things that I knew were kind of not um, any sort of calling to me. It was kind of, you know, making money, but also kind of without purpose and maybe even a little bit depressed. Still get depressed now, but, you know, like that was just a deeper thing. 
because you're not living what you're supposed to be doing here. So that just gnaws away at you. Of course, when you're in your 20s, it doesn't really matter. But as time goes on, you're like, I have to figure out what my, my path is here. So when I uh, came back to New York and then I went back to college, I found I started to do journalism because it was an easy way to to write and make and make money. You know, like as a creative writer, you're not going to make money for a while. So, uh, and they put me on crime because that's the easiest and it's the most abundant thing in New York. And, mm. you know, they put me on crime and I was pretty good at it. People liked to talk to me. So I was pretty good at it. And also I liked it as a writer because I wasn't really uh, um, living in, let's say, in the heart chakra yet or in the, in the heart yet. So just dealing with it on a superficial level like writing was amazing there's a lot of drama and crime but you don't realize like you're really dealing with people's worst moments and suffering so i didn't really process that on a deeper level if you did like you probably couldn't do the job so you have to be a little bit cold in a way to do it so like i was uh but I, but i but i enjoyed it for a long time the journalism because it was it was creative writing of course writing about tragedies but but still like it's a good story yeah, no, that's super interesting. I mean, that whole idea where it's like what actually was bringing you in to creative writing was actually kind of the spirituality aspects of these people that you admired, right? Yeah. So there was like that little bit of a thread there of like why you were actually interested in it. But then the actual practicality of you doing this writing ended up writing about crime, so that's so interesting. And yeah, so you you mentioned a little bit about having to be kind of like, I don't know, like a little bit cold around the fact that you're covering these horrible crimes. So can you talk a little bit about what that was like? Like, do you feel like there was a level of kind of dissociation from the work they were doing? Or how did that kind of manifest for you? You got a drink. Mm. so yeah you know you'd go to the bar and just like try to wash it away a little bit and you know you see the cops there too like the cops are doing it too so it's just like you have to numb yourself a little bit unfortunately in that because if you're just living with too much compassion like you're going to want to it's a different role it's not the journalist's role to, to do you know you're supposed to be an impartial observer and things like that so of course if somebody needs help you're going to help them but you're there to get the story so um so I didn't process it really. It was just kind of building up, building up. And also I'm not like naturally a person that uh, shares emotions so easily either. You're a Capricorn. So when I finally was on the brink of starting my yoga journey, you know, I went to, uh, it was time my brother had found this retreat in Brazil to, to try ayahuasca. And that was always something of a curiosity of mine. I just had no idea how to, how to find it but then mm -hmm. facebook come along and online and it was easier to find so we found this place before it was really popular this was in may of 2010 so it wasn't really like as popular as it has gotten now as more of a therapy and everything so really we went and it was just me and my brother his uh girlfriend at the time and someone else so four people now if you go it's going to be 20 or more mm -hmm. so really intimate and that's when i started to really understand and process you know i was still a journalist i had taken off time from my job to go down there and try but in the morning, they had pranayama and yoga. And that's where I thought, oh, what is this? I connected right away. Before, but the seed was there. Like if you look back on your life, you can see how this thing is unraveling. And then when it unravels and you look back again, you're like, okay, that's pretty clear how that happened. Yeah. But like it started to unravel. Like even before I went on to Brazil, I had to, I had to um, 
give up eating meat to prepare my body for this. And I was just mm-hmm. like, okay, you know, I'm not going to eat meat. Uh, but when I come back, I'll just start it again. Put it, th- it never came back. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing too with these, uh, with this evolution of the self. It's not something that you want to, I have to stop eating meat or stop smoking cigarettes or stop drinking. I have to do stop it. Because if you do that, that's going to create more anxiety and more tension. Mm-hmm. Like any yogi who understands will tell you, just do your practice. And these things are going to fall away as they fall away. I still have some bad habits, but like the meat never came back. I used to smoke cigarettes. That never came, you know, things just didn't come back because the practice takes over eventually. Some people longer, some people less. For me, thank God, like it happened. I'm grateful it happened pretty quickly. And once I found the road, I started going. So then I was there in Brazil and we took, you know, we had our uh, ceremonies of the ayahuasca. And on the second one is really when I processed all the suffering that mm. this in this uh, in this trip, I just couldn't get up. I thought I don't, I'm never going to be the same again. All this, all these thoughts had passed through, but I was just processing suffering, and I couldn't pinpoint what I was suffering about. So I just think to myself that I was just processing all the traumas of myself and other people that I had dealt with in in journalism. Yeah. So that's kind of how I started to go through that process, and then. And then when I finally went back to, I was living in Florida at the time, South Florida as a journalist. Mm-hmm. And when I went back there, things were different. I, didn't go, I was doing martial arts at the time. I didn't go back to that. I started practicing yoga. Uh, I wanted to grow my hair because all the yogis have to pass through that long hair phase. The guy, you know, you need a bun. But um, so I just started down that road. And then, then things just started to move. I started to practice. And then the next year, I, uh, I heard about uh, Vipassana meditation, you know, the 10 day mm-hmm. silent uh, meditation that that offers you the techniques of the Buddha, nothing religious there, just offers you the technique. And I did that. And again, super profound, powerful experience. This was early the next year. So I came back in May 2010 and then early in uh, 11, 2011 is when I did the Vipassana. It was a parallel experience to the ayahuasca without, without yeah. the psychoactive compound, you know, it's just me. So that was also like a, a parallel experience. And that also like opened up things in me. And, you know, you're sitting there 10 hours a day in silence. So something has to change. Either you run away or something's going to change. Sure. So so that too uh, had a profound effect on me. And then I was just like, by November of that year, I was like, no, in September of that year, I went camping in uh, Moab, Utah, the beautiful place to go camping. Uh, full moon weekend, September 11 weekend. I remember it. Uh, of 2011 and i was just like yeah, something's got to change i don't know what but i can't do this job anymore because i was just looking at what i'm doing in journalism you know i used to read five newspapers a day and all this and if you asked me back then what my dream would be i'd say being a foreign correspondent for the new york times mm-hmm. but since i left journalism i haven't even read a newspaper so you know someone told me we had a pandemic now <laughs> but i'm just so separated from all of that so like um so yeah, when I that weekend is when I decided I have to do something. What am I going to do? I'm going to quit this job, but I don't know. Like, I'll go to India. Well, you know, it seems like a good idea. What do I do there? I'll do a teacher training. It wasn't any sort of goal to teach yoga, but I was, you know, progressing on my yoga path, and mm-hmm. and I wanted to go to India. And when I travel, I like to include something kind of productive, either as a teacher or a student, just to involve myself more in the community. 
So I did this uh, training in, in India, in Rishikesh. Like I quit my journalism job in November. And this is funny, like if we're going to talk about my teacher, Dharma Mitra. So like I, I was living uh, in Florida at the time and I quit my job and went back to New York, where I'm from. So I went back here for a couple of months before going to India in uh, January, I believe. Mm-hmm. So I'm here, you know, late November, December, and I go around to a couple of classes of yoga. Let me see what they got in New York. I went to a Dharma class. And at the time, I was like, there's something there, but I don't know. I couldn't really understand him well. You know, his English isn't so great until you connect with him. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't really understand him well. I know it was too hard for me at the time. I remember mm-hmm. like, I pinched him and I was like, well, this is crazy. So I was like, there's something there, but I don't know what. So I eventually then went to India. And India was a great experience. Uh, can't say pinpoint anything particularly life-changing, like the ayahuasca or the vipassana, but just mm-hmm. being there. Like, sure. you don't. You know, yogis out there, you don't have to go to India to become a yogi. You know, Dharma himself never went to India. But uh, it's nice to go to these places. Like, the masters are everywhere. You don't have to go there for mm-hmm. the message. But it's nice to go to these places, um, not for the uh, how, but for the why. Mm-hmm. So when you're there and you swim in the Ganga, you know, you can connect a little bit like that. So I think some of that also processed. And then when I came back to New York, I was there a couple of months in India. When I come back to New York, first of all, I was a little bit depressed because India is like this profound experience. I have traveled a bunch, but nothing is like that. It's just like down is up, up is down. It's a totally different dimension almost. So when you come back, I was a little depressed. And then I spent a year going around New York, all the famous studios and everybody looking for a teacher. And I was like, I guess I'm just going to do self-practice. I couldn't find a teacher. Until the end of that year, so January 1st, 2013, when uh, Dharma had a, a special um, New Year's Day class, and I went to that, also because they had free vegan food. So at that time, like I was going also for the food because I started to work actually for that food company. Mm. And uh, and it was a packed class. And right away from the OM, I connected. And I loved the class. I was like, okay, this is my guy now. So, and after the class, I told Dharma, like, Dharma, I love the class. Amazing. Thank you so much. He put his arm around me. He's like, good. I could, and like I told you, like it was a packed room, but he said, when I, you came in, I could see you were skeptical. And I probably was because in the last experience, I wasn't sure. And anyway, he just invited me in and, and that was it. that I stayed with him 10 years now. Wow. I love that. Uh, I want to go back a little bit because I'm curious, like, so after that initial, like those so you go through this ayahuasca experience and you come back to South Florida. Like, did you feel like right away that just something had completely shifted and you were just in a different state after that? Because it sounds like it was kind of like an unraveling after that point, right? Yeah, it was definitely an unraveling and it kept kept the process going. Like like I said, like I didn't go, like the habits that I thought would come back just didn't come back. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I stopped training uh, the martial arts I was training I guess the meat just wasn't there I wasn't interested so much in drinking you know after work and all that so yeah it was just like a process that started the hair kept growing I guess the process that uh, <laughs> that kept unraveling and I started doing more yoga a lot more yoga and this, I just became like kind of like uh, let's say a healthy obsession with that yeah the yoga practice so yeah that but how was it still continuing your job like through that yeah it started to die like that passion i had also because at that time the the newspaper i was working on started with the online so started to be multimedia so 
on par with me feeling like this is not a, a very good karma that I'm doing, like sharing pain and suffering in the world. Because when people pick up the newspaper and read it, they think that's the world. But I still believe like most of the world is is good. You know, if you, as a matter of fact, it is because if you read the newspaper and you're seeing bad news, it's because that's the aberration. Like if you read the news, if you pick up the newspaper and says like a plane landed today, then you were in trouble. Right. <laughs> the plane went what? Because they're all crashing. Right. So, uh, so yeah, like so, what well, it did become like it just had no more flavor for me. It had no more flavor for me, and I had no more drive. I had no more drive to like make these connections and get the scoop and do this. I just didn't have the drive. Sneak into the hospital and why you do it? And I didn't have the drive anymore. So uh, that you know the feeling of what pains in my heart, and also because they made it more about like put everything online. You know, you have to come in a lot earlier and put everything online. Mm-hmm. It's more about uh, quantity than quality. At least in the beginning, that's how it was for for us at that newspaper. And um, yeah, so it started to to, to dry up for me. Yeah, you know, when you're in that state, no matter what your job is, even if you're a yoga teacher, when you're in that state where you just the enthusiasm is gone, get out of there as soon as you can. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about it. The universe has something else for you, but get out of there. Yeah, yeah. Do you feel like you couldn't be like numb to it anymore? Yeah. Also, you know, you start to, you know, I'm not like fully like heart chakra, heart chakra all day, but like, yeah, it's still you just realize that you're putting fear and loathing in the world and you don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I want to at least put love in the in the world as much as I can. And, you know, through sharing this practice of yoga that, you know, it's a job, so I'm getting paid for it also, but at least you're doing something that serves you because you're serving them. So even when I teaching the class, like I'm receiving as well, you know, so it's really a beautiful experience for me as well. If the, if the students are there and practicing and enthusiastic, if they're like, looking up in the air then that's a torture but but uh but yeah like i'm receiving as well in the class so i don't consider it like a one-way service we're we're back and forth and that's that's the beauty of 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 teaching or or sharing anything that you that you want to do yeah absolutely i love what you were bringing up there um around enthusiasm because i you know i feel like dharma talks a lot about like having enthusiasm having tapas you know and so can you talk a little bit about what your thoughts are around enthusiasm since that was something you just brought up? Yeah, well, I, I heard recently like the root of enthusiasm coming from the Greek, it means filled with the spirit or filled with God. Mm. So if you think about that, then wouldn't you want to be enthusiastic? So yeah, like, but you have to have the thing that, that calls to you. Maybe, you know, someone goes to a yoga class or, or whatever, or a dance class and it's just not their thing. So they're not going to have the enthusiasm. Maybe they're going to get really good at it, but it's just more of a technical approach. The beauty of enthusiasm, and I understand why they say where that root is filled with this, filled with the spirit or filled with the divine, because that's what carries you. It can be something difficult and you don't care. It's just because you're just having fun. The, the whole thing is what in this life? Like no matter what you're doing, even if it's a serious thing, do it with a playful spirit. And then you're in the the spirit of the divine. Then you have enthusiasm automatically. So that's why I love also the Dharma practice. Well, it's not just because of that. Like the people who are attracted to that is because they already have that in them. Mm-hmm. So if you're there and you stay, it's just like like Dharma says, same attracts same. Or yeah. you you get pulled into that because that's your thing. Like your vibe attracts your tribe. Or you know, there's many things about that. It's just because so you get pulled into that. And when you pick a teacher. 
you're giving him or her the authority to be your teacher. You know, I can leave tomorrow and then Donald's not my teacher anymore. So you're giving him or her the authority to be your teacher because you see something in them that's in you, but more developed in them. So you want them to help pull it out of you. So that's why like, mm-hmm. you know, some people are self-taught, but for me, like I really enjoy this process of teacher student or guru disciple you know like i i really like that process it helps me a lot but with that you know there's also the word of surrender so you have to really trust this person and just so you're giving them the authority so then surrender to yourself really because you're giving them that authority so surrender to yourself do what they say be close with them and you're going to go farther than you imagined because of that like they're there to help you and if you're receptive then you're going to receive yeah yeah if you go there and you're like you know in the west here we have a really hard time with this word of surrender or obedience we don't like that word Mm -hmm. but it's like i said it's obedience or surrender to yourself not to some authority not to the government you know it's the government of yourself so you're just obeying yourself that's the beauty when you pick that teacher and you're going to know when that person is your teacher so stay close with them but today the problem also is and i see with my students too is like people come and go there's too many, there's so many different options and all that. It's hard to stay focused. And if you're a come and go kind of person, you know, you're going to get good at what you do, but I don't think you're going to become like a master at something. So like for me, I really like to stay with one thing to like touch that taste of mastery somewhere, I mean, some aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And then when you taste that, you know, they tell you the same thing in Vipassana, like stay with one technique till you hit the water and then, then you're free. So, but you have to enjoy the path here. You know, if it's a torture to go to a yoga class or whatever, and, and find something else, you know, go to church, whatever, you know, whatever you think. Sure. But like, stay with that thing until you reach a certain level. And then there's a different sort of freedom, mm. a different sort of freedom. Then you can go around and go to different classes and have more fun because you already have your deep understanding and everything else is just kind of playtime. Yeah, yeah, no, I love that. Definitely plays into enthusiasm. Yeah, I feel like um, there's definitely some some elements of around Dharma where it's like we get kind of hooked on it, right? It's almost like I was thinking about this the other day around like, um, you know, people get addicted to bad things. But like in, in our case, it's kind of like we got addicted to, to good things. <laughs> yeah, but also like an addiction is an addiction. So we have to also be careful like if the pandemic or Dharma is not around or whatever, you know, we have to also like, and he says it all the time, like we have to enjoy, but don't be attached. That's the hard thing. Yes, absolutely. But that's the practice, mm-hmm. you know, that's the practice. And as we go on, we get better at that. But that's the practice. I mean, even, even like some of the highest minds still have attachments. They say like, and that's what keeps them here. Dharma, whoever, whatever teacher is an amazing teacher, like that's what keeps them here. That little bad habit or that little attachment that, um, that keeps them human and able to relate to their students. Like there's this, I heard this once, like even the Buddha had a touch of regret that life is fleeting. Mm. This is the one who told us not to be worried about it. That, but even he had a little, it's a little bit sad. Right. So it's okay. But if you can really appreciate that and continue the practice and see the things as they are as much as you can, not how you want them to be, but how they are, then you can have a little bit more appreciation for this this is the dreams of life yeah yeah absolutely so going back you were saying how you kind of you went to this rishikesh training and then was it after that you like left your job and then you started teaching yoga after that or what was kind of well, the I already quit my journalism job like to go to new york and prepare okay. myself um but everything has its 
it's purpose. Like there's no, there's nothing useless that we do in our life. Like even the journalism and everything. I'm glad that I did that. For one, I was able to save some money. For two, it helps you to be a good writer. And that's important too. And no matter what you do and speaker and everything, so that everything is, everything lines up. And even it was interesting because around the same time that I went to Brazil and started with the yoga practice was also when I started to play the drum a little bit. Like, and this was from my teenage year. So usually when you're a teenager, if you're aware, you're going to see the seeds of who you are. Maybe they're not going to come out yet because you don't have a guide or the parents who know how to help you or whatever. So maybe they're not going to come out yet. But I could see like in high school, like I had that interest in the Eastern philosophy and I started to drum. Like I had no technique. I just know I like to do it. So then around the same time of the yoga is when I started to get a little more serious with the drumming and, and taking lessons and things like that. But that didn't, you know, come to any sort of fruition. Like I was playing in bands a little bit, but what I really became passionate about is went is through Dharma also when we started to do the bhakti or yeah. one day they needed a drummer and I played drum. But still I wasn't singing. But then you stay on the journey and this whatever's gonna come for you come. And, and you know, I used to when I was a journalist, I used to like drunk in karaoke. <laughs> but now I like spiritually drunk in bhakti yoga. You know, you're drunk without yeah. the alcohol. So uh so yeah, so it's just everything kind of comes together. But I forgot what was the uh, Oh, I was asking like after your training, like did you then go into So I quit the job and then um and then you know I went to India and then when I came back to New York, yeah, I started to teach very little money, traveling out, you know, how New York is traveling an hour and a half here, an hour and a half there. Like mm-hmm. I live deep in I'm living deep in Bay, Brooklyn and Bay and also working on the vegan food truck. So I'm like half and half, like mm. making some money there and then um, and then hustling with the classes. Eventually it leads up to like 20 classes a week and you're just exhausted. So also like if there's teachers listening, also important, no matter how many classes you teach or how much you have to hustle, maintain like a self-practice, even if it's something basic. I was grateful that I was always able to maintain that. I'm always able to maintain self-practice and that's the most important thing in not just as a profession, if you're a teacher, but just your life, just to mm-hmm. have some silence and movement or pranayama or whatever you do, like do that every day, at least, you know, be consistent, you know, like thing that people get lost a lot is because they're not consistent or they go to class once in a while, but just the, the fruit comes from consistency. And we don't care about the fruit, we attach the fruit, but the fruit comes from consistency. And anyone's going to tell you that. Anyone who has reached any sort of level of mastery is going to tell you the same thing. Yeah, that's incredibly true. I feel like that's that was kind of the biggest gift, I think, from doing 500 Hour with Dharma. It's just the instilling of like regular practice. So I definitely relate to that. And yes, it is like, don't be too attached to it, but... It is definitely, I feel like the the foundation in which we all stand upon, right, is our our regular practice. Yeah. And also put yourself in your practice. So like if you uh, do a training or something, they give you a sequence, beautiful, stay with that. But I think uh, Mozart or someone said like, learn the notes and then forget them. So learn all that stuff, but then forget it and be creative and play because then you can just become too rigid and the sequence. Oh no, I missed a pose and freak out. But just play. Like even sometimes in the class, Dharma misses a pose, but it doesn't matter. It's like we're there for something else. Yeah. It doesn't matter if I miss the and maybe there's a higher purpose. Like sometimes they'll say, like, maybe we didn't do that side because somebody would get hurt doing that pose today on that side. So 
you know, maybe, maybe just forgot, maybe not, but I, but I consider the other one. He said, like, there's a higher purpose to everything, you know, even like it says in the Bible, even a blade of grass doesn't move without the will of God. I think that's beautiful. It's poetry, but I think it's beautiful. And I think there's something to that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's why, like, I love what you were saying before around, like, there's purpose even in those times when we don't think that there is purpose, right? So, like, even when you're in your crime journalist job, like, there's a reason why, like, that was part of your journey, right? And there is, there is some, there's fruits to that, that now, you know, goes into what you're doing today, even. And it's like, oftentimes, we can't see that when we're in the thick of it. But, like, as they say, hindsight's twenty twenty, and it becomes so clear, like, oh, it was always there. It's all, there's like these little sprinklings of like what really mattered in the background. Yeah. So if you remember that, and you remember that all the time, even when if you're doing like, you're going through a really hard time in the life, if you just remember that, you know, this too shall pass and it has a purpose. Yeah. Then it's not going to destroy you. You know, you're going to get sad and go through emotions, but it's not going to destroy you. So that's the thing mm-hmm. we're trying to stay closest with it. Just remembering, remembering, like they say, like we're all Buddhas in amnesia. So just remembering that and just like, okay, this is a purpose too. As long as you're putting in your best, you know, like, so it's not like uh, another great Dharma quote is like, um, the world is perfect, but don't tell anybody that because then no one will do anything. Mm-hmm. So there's that too. We have to be part of this. We have to be part of this thing and do our best. But like in the Gita, but we're not attached. To the fruits so we're not worried about that how it comes it doesn't matter maybe i practice handstand forever and i don't get it who cares it's fun to practice because then what happens you get it and you're like doesn't really matter <laughs> that's so true that's so true well yeah i feel like you speak a lot to um like Devesha, right like attachment and avoidance like how we don't want to be hiding away from the things that we don't like but we also don't want to be too attached to the good things and trying to find that kind of middle path in life. Is that kind of, that's, I feel like that's in essence what you speak to. Yeah. I mean, we have to, exactly. Like, of course, the things that, we, the, the beauty comes when those things that enter, this is from the Gita, those things that enter as pain can leave as pleasure. So those like, it's hard in the beginning to do these yoga poses or to sit Mm-hmm. You know, just to pranayama or these things are hard at the beginning but then they become a pleasure and maybe even like a little bit of an attachment you know something i won't say attachment but it can be like that too like there's always something but like so yeah i have a problem sometimes if i missing like but there's always something you can do like maybe you don't have time to sit for 20 minutes but you can do a little three as a agnisara something if that's your thing like there's always time for something there's always time for something so people say there's no time sleep less you know go to bed more early like there's always mm-hmm. time for five minutes you have at least that so like those things that so i think it's one and the same sometimes the attachment and the aversion can become one the aversion can become your attachment after a while yeah. and also things that come as pleasure can leave as pain you know it's nice sometimes to just hang around and eat too much and all that but then that can leave as pain because now you're not going to sleep well yeah absolutely absolutely so i'm curious what really brought you to spain because that's where you're living now yeah um well yeah that's you know in the beginning like when i started my when i finally settled down in new york and i was like training at dharma in the beginning, um, 
I didn't want to travel. I didn't want to do anything. I wanted to just stay close to Dharma, go to all the classes. Also, I had no money because those trainings are expensive. So like I did the 500 and 800. Like I said, I was working on a food truck, so I wasn't making but, uh, but also I really didn't want to travel. Like that felt bad if I left for a while. Um, so yeah, so like I just stayed there, but also everything had a purpose. Like, and then after a while, like, I, I started teaching at the center. And then if you don't travel the world, if you're in a good place, the world comes to you. So the whole world passes through Dharma, you know? Mm-hmm. So after a while, uh, I think shortly after I finished the 800 hour, somewhere around uh, 2016, around there, or maybe a little over 15, uh, somewhere around there, like I started to, okay, I want to travel a little bit. Then. And somebody that I met at Dharma's invited me to Italy. And so I had that one workshop in, in Milan, I think, and then she had someone in Rome. Mm-hmm. And I just put on Facebook, hey, I'm coming to Europe. I'm coming to Italy. Any other invitations? And then I got like, I really got a flood of invitations that first Europe tour. So it turned out to be from one weekend or two weekends, it turned out to be uh, two months. So I was there eight weeks, 13 flights. Wow. Teaching that much. So I got a lot of invitations and it was just, I was fortunate. That was too much. Yeah. So I came back and I, I re-figured out my plan for travel. And I just kept doing that, like Euro tours or Asia tours, like doing just tours, go away two months, come back to New York, continue my routine over there. But then uh, a few years ago, I think it was 18 or 19, um, they liked me and they liked me in Italy for whatever reason. And they invited me to stay there like for a month and be like a resident teacher. So I did that and I really fell in love uh, with Europe and with Italy. My, my father's side is uh, Italian, so I, I reconnected with that. Mm. And um, and they invited me to come to come live there. But also like how everything comes for you, all your desires get fulfilled, but just not when you want them to, or not, maybe you're not ready for them. For the first time I went to Europe in 2009 to visit a cousin who lives in Germany, mm-hmm. and we drove to Italy. And then I was in 2009, I saw, oh my God, it's amazing here, I want to, I want to live in Europe. And I spoke Spanish at the time because I was trying to be a correspondent for the New York Times in oh. South America, so I learned Spanish. And then um, and I applied for a Fulbright in Spain, and da, 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 I didn't get it. So, okay. And then 10 years later, there I am. So they invited me to live in Europe, uh, and I ended up getting an Italian passport from my lineage, from my, from my mm-hmm. family. Yeah, my yeah. Um, so I got the passport, and then I, I moved to Italy. And by the time I moved to Milan, it was like uh, March, no, February of uh, 20. So like a month later, it just got shut down. Right, so right. It happened there first in Lombardia. Yes. Northern Italy. So, mm-hmm. but I had already started my, my little tour. Like I started a world tour and I was in Croatia when Milan shut down, shut down my first weekend of March for that year. And I was like, I don't want to go back to... Milan, because Milan's expensive. I was living far away from, you know, like an hour away from mm-hmm. anything. And um, like I was in New York. So then I was like, I don't want to go back to my little crappy apartment there in the middle of nowhere. I don't know if I want to go to New York. Let me see. I'll go to Barcelona. I know a lot of people there. So I had changed all my flight tickets, even to Australia, Japan, all this stuff like that. I was going to travel. I changed it from Milan to Barcelona. And I, was, I remember being there. I was like, that's not going to happen here. Really, like, oh. And then a week later, it shut down also. Yeah. But like through the grace of God, I got um, one of my students in Barcelona 
had already fled the the city. She was in um, the northern Spain with her family. So she got me the keys to her apartment and I stayed in her apartment for quarantine. Amazing time. It was like a huge apartment. You know, like I said, I only went away for the weekend. So I was there for three months to three pairs of underwear. So it was like I was a refugee, basically. But at that moment is when I really fell in love with Barcelona, you know, because because I had traveled there before, but I couldn't really feel the city. I taught there and I traveled. I was just full of tourists. You can't feel the city. But during the... uh, during the pandemic, you know, and then when they started to let us out a little bit, like we could really feel the city. And also when I was living in Milano, I broke my rule to live in a city without the sea. And I felt it, you know, like even here we have the ocean. So you have, it changes the vibe. So, and then when I was in Barcelona, I was like, yeah, they're coming. But I was just, it was just a thought. I was like, I don't know when, but I'll come back. So finally, so from March, finally in June, I was able to go back to Milano where I lived and I went there and it was just super hot and I didn't have many friends and I just, I didn't like it. But uh, anyway, so I go back to New York in August, like now I'm here in August and, uh, and everything, you know, people ask me why you pick Barcelona. And I was like, really Barcelona picked me. So like all my flights were getting canceled, Milan, New York. So, okay. I go to Barcelona. So I go Milan, Barcelona, spend some time, then Barcelona, New York. And on the way back of one of these trips, I was like, let me look for an apartment. I didn't even look. I just put it on like a story on Instagram. Anybody know in an apartment? And two friends, two yogi who don't know each other, but they both um, recommended this place where I still live today. And three years later, they recommended this place in the center of the city. It was affordable. And it was just like, I have to take it. Because this is also the first time I can afford to live in the center of a city. Like I'm always like New York, Milan. I'm an hour. I step out of my apartment and it's an hour on the metro. Mm-hmm. Where I have to go. So now living in Barcelona, which I love, my three little rules for happiness, no roommate, no boss, no metro. But, uh, <laughs> and it's working well. So yeah, like I finally ended up there. And then when you're in, not just, you know, there's also when you find your teacher and you know that's your teacher, also when you find your city. So like, boom, right away I felt it. I was a little bit depressed the first night because like in Milan, like I said, I live far away. So I opened my window and it's just all trees and everything. So in Barcelona, I opened my window and it's like, there's an apartment not too far away in the college and even walk around naked. <laughs> so, but then it didn't matter. Like that was just the one night, the next day I went to the sea and I felt fine. So, and then a week later I was just boom, inspired. Like, I, like Dharma said, like until 10 years teaching, you're an instructor, not a teacher for most people. So like I was just hitting my 10 year point teaching um, uh, when I moved to Barcelona and I just become inspired, like, and I wrote my yoga manual because I was I always wanted to start to do trainings. So I have to write my yoga manual, and it just came out. Like I was like, what do I have to teach really? But then you start writing, like, I mean, people don't know this, you know. And I just wrote. So now, like, the beauty of Barcelona, you know, it's not a, it's a city that's beautiful to live in and, and affordable, but also they don't pay so much. So like, I'm lucky that I'm able to do these trainings now. I do these 50 hour trainings twice a year. And I still do some travels around Europe, but like these trainings are like my main thing. And and it, either you have to go outside to make money or outside has to come to you. So I'm lucky when I do these trainings, like all of like many people from Europe, Asia, even the States, they come and, and we have a great time. So like, yeah, but for now, like that's my city and I really am happy to be there. It's a beautiful time. And, you know, my Spanish is better than my Italian. Yeah. I love that. I love how it's kind of like it picked you instead of you picking it. That I feel like that's, that I feel like that's almost the beauty of like the way that life presents itself when when you become like more yogic. Yeah, if you're not afraid and you follow your bliss and just take those, you know, don't be afraid to that to make that 
plunge. Otherwise, it's going to be a sad life. <laughs> it's still going to have moments of sadness, but at least you know, like, you're on your path and and you're not like tortured with what how to spend your time or where to put your energy. You know how to how to grow. Right. So right. I'm really blessed that you know. So I like to say, like, in the beginning with the yoga practice, like in the beginning, I would practice. Uh, for Don, for my teacher, for Don, you know, like I would do, I, I would just. Think. Then I started to like practice for myself, mm. you know. But now, like, whatever I do is for the students because now, like, as far as the yoga asana, I'm at a level where I'm not really pushing myself. Like, you know, I'm happy with what I have achieved. So with the asana, you know, I'm still doing meditation and stuff. But how I relive some of these tricky asanas that I learned and and I'm I'm comfortable with is when I see others practicing it as well. So then I relive it. And now it's like, so I went from the teacher to myself to the students. So now it's like, they're helping me to maintain this enthusiasm for the yoga practice, for the yoga asana practice, at least, but to, to be able to share that, to share something that, you're, that you love, you know, and it helps them and they, and then they become happy and you become more happy. So it's just a, it's a great time as opposed to like, journalism they become more miserable and you become more miserable. <laughs> right yeah no I, I love that idea where it's just like um yeah it becomes more about the giving to to your students than it is about yourself but it's not selfless because like i said like i'm also receiving so like I'm, say I'm doing like a selfless thing like a saint or something like i'm also receiving so that's that's the beauty of it it's like you have to be that i think even the saints are receiving you know they're they're receiving as well so it's always like this back and forth. There's a saying, there's this uh, old Indian saying, like, the teacher and the taught create the teachings. Mm. So you need both. I love that. That's really beautiful. Yeah. So how does, is it like 10 years in of teaching, like... 13 teaching, 10 with Dharma. Okay. 13 years teaching, 10 with Dharma. Like, how, what do you feel like has been like the biggest lessons or like what has that journey been like now that it's been a good amount of time? Just the ability to, I mean, it's not even, I feel like I'm just retired. I'm just enjoying really. Like it's not, uh, it's just been a beautiful process, a beautiful journey. Like I'm just blessed that I'm able to keep doing it, you know? So it's just been like getting better and better and like doing, like I said, like, so a couple of years ago, I started doing these things and now I'm like doing bigger things like that. And it's just moving towards that, just being able to share. And when I'm doing these, Classes are beautiful too, but like you don't have a lot of time. You know, like when you get more stuff to share, you want to do trainings and things and workshops. So when I'm doing that is when I really feel in my element. And this is this is who I am. And it's just really beautiful to be in that. You know, it's exhausting too when you do these because I do them by myself. It's like six days and five and then you know eight hours a day or something like that. So like and told me so it's exhausting, but it's also like really rewarding because I just feel like ah, this is. This is who I am. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. You feel really good in that, in that, in that sense, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just I'm just happy that I'm able to still do it. You know, as long as I can keep going with it, I'll keep going with it. And that's the beauty of the yoga practice. Is now, um, you know, I still love the asana, but I'm moving into more other things of the yoga, like more bhakti yoga. I start now with a, a band. We're doing some mantra albums for. Uh, yeah, it's on Spotify and all this. It's called Alma de Damaru, the soul of the Damaru. The Damaru mm. is the drum of Shiva. That marks time and space, you know. 
So I'm, Very cool. so I'm really happy to like keep developing myself in other aspects of yoga because, you know, as you get old, you're not going to, you lose enthusiasm for some of the complicated poses. You get more into some of the basic poses. That's why I'm happy that I have these kind of younger enthusiastic students who want to learn the more complicated because that keeps me on my toes and keeps me in, in the practice as well. Uh, but also like my my main passion now is moving towards more stuff like that, like mantras and I love to like sing and play and it's just a real blessing. And that's also the blessing of the yoga practice in general, but also why I love Dharma yoga so much is because it exposes you to all of that. We have crazy asanas, but we also have amazing bhakti and meditation, pranayama, all this stuff. It's hard. It's really hard. You can look on one. It's really hard to find this one-stop kind of shopping. Maybe you're going to find someone doing amazing asanas, but they don't know what Vedanta is, or they don't know anything about philosophy, or they don't sing, or they don't even want to do an all. Or you meet someone who knows everything about uh, the philosophy and all that, but they have a big belly and they can't do a pose. So it's nice to have you know someone or a lineage that does, does all that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's kind of like uh, we get exposed to all of it and then you kind of get to choose what really resonates with you. It depends on the time too. Like, yeah. you, know, like you, you might be all in the poses and then who knows? Like not everyone goes into the bhakti, but some, you know, mm-hmm. depends where you're the, the person you are inside you. And like I said, like I had that music in the background and all those things just come to fruition. So yeah, yeah. Maybe, you know, down the road, it's just going to be writing or who knows, you know, I'm excited to see what the next chapters bring because then you look back on your on your journey and you're just like wow look at this like what a what a beautiful practice what a beautiful life to be able to, to do this and you know and you see and you watch yourself too like watch how you change like now i don't say like my personal physical practice is like the asana so much anymore like i'll go to class for dharma now but i like other things like you it's nice to remain humble and remain a student in other things so like i started doing a couple of years ago i started doing like capoeira and I'm, it's really fun like it has a fun atmosphere like the dharma like everything but it mm-hmm. but it keeps me in that student mind it's nice to go back to the student mind and sometimes at the end of class like they want to it's time to do stretches and he, he knows i'm a yoga teacher so i don't even want to teach the stretches i just want to remain like being a student mind and just do that you know like, so it's it's nice to to continue on this path and if you reach uh, a certain amount of uh, expertise in something, find something else where you can be a beginner again, because that keeps you young also and enthusiastic and happy and, and playful. And that can, can continue to keep the other thing that you do also playful. So like some of that playful spirit that I've rediscovered in Capoeira, I bring it back to the, the yoga. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I love that because it's like you kind of like follow these little new paths, but you always come back to your home base. Yeah, yoga's gonna be the thing, but there's always gonna be like little, little uh, digressions. Yeah, I love that. All right, um, so I want to check in. Is there anything that we have not covered off on that you want to talk about before we wrap up? No, I'm just really happy. And anyone out there, I mean, I'd love to share the practice with you. If you're ever around Barcelona, you can look me up, omjerome.com. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, so let's get into our final questions, if you are ready. Right. Okay, so the first question is, how would you describe your current relationship to yourself? Um, whole and also in a struggle. 
All right. The two, the dichotomies of life. <laughs> what is something that you're currently working on? I continue doing these 50 hour trainings. So yeah, trainings. Yeah. Yoga training. Great. What do you consider most valuable to you right now? Community. I love that. All right. What is the best lesson that you've learned recently? Don't think like you know, because you probably don't. <laughs> I love that. How would you describe your purpose today? Sharing a serious practice in a playful way. Oh, I love that. All right. And then your final question is, what is the number one skill you believe everyone should work on? Silence. Amazing. I love that. I have not had that answer yet. Silence is a great one. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Jerome. I fear, I really feel like I could have continued talking to you for like another hour, yeah, frankly. Went it went so fast. It was really... Yeah, I was very invigorating. Um, so yeah, so if you want to connect with Jerome again, that's omjerome.com. And thank you again so much for this, Jerome. It was a real pleasure. Thank you, a pleasure too. Thanks everyone out there. Keep practicing, have you all. <laughs> thank you for joining us on this episode of A Way of Thinking. I hope it has been a source of inspiration and guidance as you continue to navigate your path towards greater inner peace and purpose. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Your feedback helps us reach more seekers like you. And for those of you who are ready to take a deeper dive into your journey, I invite you to book a dream job discovery session with me, your host, Jessica Huang. It's an opportunity for us to explore how you can bring greater meaning and purpose into your career and life. Simply visit jessicahuangcoaching.com and schedule your session today. Remember, the power to create the life you desire resides within you, and I'm here to support you every step of the way. Until next time, embrace the journey, cultivate your inner peace, and never stop seeking your true purpose.